I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not with the Lord's authority, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. This is God's holy word. Let's pray for God's blessing as we hear his word. Our Lord, we remember what you teach us, that just as the rain comes down and, and gives seed and causes the seed to grow, so it is with your word. Your word gives life, your word feeds us, and we are dependent upon the rain of your Holy Spirit, the Spirit to send blessing upon this word that we have just heard read to us. And as we hear it again and hear it explained, we long to grow up into Christ's likeness. We long to live a life that is holy and pleasing to you. So send your spirit to give us understanding, to enlighten our minds. Send your spirit to pierce our hearts, to challenge and convict where it is needed and to encourage and comfort. We ask these things through our Lord, who sits in heaven with all authority. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. 
Well, uh, kids, I don't know if uh, cards is a thing that kids play anymore, but uh, you all hopefully know what a deck of cards looks like. And you know that in the deck of cards, there usually come two cards with someone called a joker on it. What is a joker? Who is that person dressed up in those funny colors and that funny looking hat? Well, that card, the joker card, comes from a job or a profession that existed in the Middle Ages of what was called a jester or a court jester. A jester, the joker, was basically a comedian, uh, what we would call today a stand-up comedian. The jester's job was to be invited to the houses of rich people and their parties, and so they would throw their parties with the king or whoever, and they would have a court jester. The jester's job was to make fun of everyone at the party, and he had this kind of immunity uh, supposedly, that he, he could basically say anything he wanted, be as politically incorrect as he wanted, to make fun of everyone who was there. Although, in reality, it seems jesters did actually get in trouble. They did go too far sometimes. But here, here's the job of a jester, to do a comedy routine, to do a comedy bit. And it makes you wonder if the person who, whose job it was to be a jester, if he enjoyed his job. What did he think when he went home at night? Did he think, wow, what a sad life I have. What a, what a pathetic man I am. That the only thing that I can do to earn money is act really silly. To act like a fool. I have to put on this silly costume and this little pointy hat and I got to embarrass myself in front of a bunch of people. What an embarrassing job. What a sad life I have. Or did he like it? Did he like being an entertainer? Did he like drawing the attention to himself? Did he like the fact that he could make people laugh? Well, we don't know. We don't know what these jesters thought about their lives. But in this uh, passage here today, we can think of Paul as acting like the joker or acting like one of those court jesters. Paul is, he says, acting like a fool. He's embarrassing himself. He's acting silly. He's doing something that he doesn't like doing, that he thought he would never do, but he feels like he is being forced into this position where he has to act like a fool. And we know that Paul is doing this reluctantly. Paul doesn't like this kind of silliness. But on the other hand, these false apostles, these super apostles, Paul is kind of poking at them. They actually do like acting like a fool. They enjoy the fact that they are boasting about themselves and drawing attention to themselves. And that, that shows the difference between the false and the true apostle, between Paul and these other men. These other men love that the attention is all on them, whereas Paul is embarrassed that he would have to even talk about himself. 
And so this was the problem in Corinth of these men. One of them problems is that they were boasters. They were loud mouth boasters. And Paul, we saw in chapter 10, wants to boast only in the Lord. And yet he feels like he has to act a fool. He's acting silly. Uh, as we'll, we'll see, he, he kind of even mentions several times, I'm acting like a fool, I'm acting like a madman. But he's doing this because he thinks this is the only way to get their attention. Maybe uh, if you've uh, been a parent of a little child, you've had to act like this. Well, you haven't really had to, but, but you've probably done it before. You can think of a child who is continually sticking their finger in the outlet and, uh, of course, no matter how many times you tell them no, they, they look at you and they still stick their fingers in the outlet. And so you despair, what, what am I going to do? So there you go, you go, and you pretend that you're going to stick your finger in the outlet. You pretend to put it in, and you make this dramatic scene of how you've been shocked, and you lay on the floor, and you play dead, and uh, your little child laughs at you. Sometimes parents, they do silly, embarrassing things like that. But it gets the point across. The child understands. If I stick my finger in that outlet, I might end up dead. I might get shocked. And so that's the kind of thing that Paul is doing. Okay, let's play the boasting game. I'm going to be silly. I'm going to embarrass myself. But the point is to show you how silly this whole thing is. Because what we're going to see is that Paul boasts about his weakness. If he's going to boast about anything and he's going to start talking about himself, everything he says about himself is bad. It's the weakness and the suffering that he has endured. But this is what's going to get the attention of the Corinthians. So this is what we want to see in our passage today. And we see it in two parts. First, how they bear with fools, the Corinthians bear with fools in verses 16 to 21. And then how Paul boasts as a fool in verse 21, the second part to the end in verse 33. So first we see how he talks about how they bear with fools. He wants them to put up with him or to bear with him. And so he points out how they bear with these other fools. So look at again, starting in verse 16. I repeat, let no one think me foolish. But even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. So let no one think me foolish. You have to read this whole part of the letter as dripping with sarcasm. That's the only way you'll understand what he's actually trying to say. He's being very sarcastic. So first he says, let no one think me foolish. I, what he means there is, I don't want you to lump me in with this other group of men. If you lump me in with them, then you're thinking of me as a fool. So he's calling them foolish. Don't think of me as if I am like those guys. But, he says, but even if you do, accept me as a fool. Well, if you're going to accept those guys, 
even if you do lump me in with that group as a boaster, just like they are, then at least I hope that you'll accept me since you accept them. Accept me as a fool, because I'm about to do a little boasting. And so then he says in verse 17, what I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not with the Lord's authority, but as a fool. Well, what does he mean here? Uh, not with the Lord's authority. Maybe we can literally uh, read that as not as the Lord. And so what he's getting at is the fact that he is acting differently from the Lord Jesus and how Jesus would act. Remember in chapter 10, verse 1, he was begging them with the meekness and gentleness of Christ. He's going to show meekness just like Christ showed them. And here he's saying, now I am not going to act as the Lord. But that doesn't mean he's going to do something wrong. He's going to do something sinful. He just means I'm doing something that even Jesus was never pushed to. Jesus never was in this situation where he had to defend himself by, by boasting as a fool. And so what I'm doing is kind of unprecedented. I'm not acting as the Lord has acted. I'm acting like a fool. Jesus never acted this way. So again, not wrong for him to act this way. Not sinful what he's doing. He's just saying, this has never been done. And then he says in verse 18, Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. He's going to boast according to the flesh going to boast about himself, boast about his accomplishments, all the things that he has done. They love to boast according to the flesh. They love to boast about their accomplishments. Paul is going to do the same thing, but you'll see he's boasting about his weakness. And then he says this in verses 19 to 21. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. Why should they listen to him? Well, because they gladly bear with fools. He knows that they put up with fools and so he's going to act in a sense like a fool. And why do they put up with fools? Because they are wise in themselves. They think that they are wise. Now, he could mean by this, by uh, the fact that, that they have, uh, they have uh, taken on the, the world's values, the values of Corinth. And so they think that the values of these false teachers like charisma and eloquence and worldly success and wealth and honor, these are all what are important. And so they have this worldly wisdom. And that's why they bear with the fools because they think they know what success is for an apostle or for ministry. Or it could mean uh, that they think that they are wiser than Paul. 
they know better than Paul does what a real apostle should look like. And so they are wise in themselves. They think they're wise. They think they know everything. They think they have the answers. And so they like the way things are in the church in Corinth. They like to follow these super apostles because they've determined that the super apostles are the ones who are successful, not the apostle Paul. So they gladly bear with the fools. But, Paul says, there's a problem with these fools, these super apostles. They make slaves of you. They devour you. They take advantage of you. They put on airs. They're arrogant. They strike you in the face. Paul says, this is ridiculous. This is crazy. You would bear with a fool who hurts you, who abuses you, who takes advantage of you. If you do that, then surely you can bear with me acting like a fool. So we see that one of the problems with these super apostles is they were tyrants. They were abusers, spiritual abusers. They were bullies in the church. They slapped you in the face, he says. Probably most people think that's not a a literal description of of physically hitting people in the face but it's an expression we have that expression too when when you say my boss uh, yelled at me in front of the rest of the group and it felt like a, a slap in the face that's what we mean we we mean that it's humiliating to be Slapped in the face to be treated in such a humiliating way. And so that's what these super apostles were doing. Probably not literally hitting people in the face, but probably behaving in a way that would humiliate and shame and belittle the people in the church, using them for their own advantage. So remember again, the, the measure of success in Corinth is how many people you can get to come listen to you. And so when, when they get this big crowd coming to church, they're not thinking, oh yes, these are all sheep of Christ that, that we need to take care of and love. They, they don't even think of them as people, as sheep. They think of them as a number. They think of them for the dollar amount that they will contribute to their pot so that then they can go and boast about themselves. Look how many people listen to us. Look how much money we get from charging people all this money to hear us speak. And so, see, they're just using the people to take advantage of them. They are parasites. Parasites who feed on the church to promote themselves, to build a platform, to build their brand, to be successful. But the thing is that the Corinthians love it. They love it. They love it because they say, our pastor, he's, he's in Time Magazine. He was one of the top 100 inf- most influential people of the year. Isn't it great 
that I, that I can go to this church, that I can call these people my pastors, that, that I have shaken hands and I know these people who are so famous, who are so honored in the eyes of the world. Isn't it great that I get to go to that church? There's this allure that they get to be a part of this success and this honor and notoriety, even though it's at the expense of them being abused. Well, unfortunately, that problem in Corinth is, has not gone away. It's just as relevant today. You can probably think of a number of churches yourself. There's one particular uh, a church that a lot of you probably know. It was a big church nationally in America of a, of a pastor who planted this church and then it became mega. And then he started planting these satellite campuses and these churches all across the country they would have the building and they would pipe in the sermons on video of this man because nobody else can preach. This is the man. This is, is his platform. It's his brand that everybody needs to, to hear from. And then you find out that this man was a bully. That this man would hurt people in his church. He would he would kick out anyone who disagreed with him. He would fire any employees who dared to question him. But it, his church was successful. Everybody, everybody loves it. Everybody loves to go to the church. Why? Because it's the big thing. It's the cool thing. And this man, here's a famous or infamous saying that he is, was found to have said about, his, about people who disagreed with him. He said, there's a pile of dead bodies under the bus of the church. And by God's grace, it'll be a mountain by the time we're done. And I thought, wow, that's like exactly what verse 20 is saying. I'm going to build my brand. I'm going to build my church. And if you're in the way, we'll throw you off the bus. We'll throw you under the bus. And it's going to be a mountain. But it's okay because I'm making myself look great. And so people put up with this. They bear with this kind of thing even today. Paul says, though, verse 21, to my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. Too weak for that. Too weak to be those kinds of bullies or to take advantage of the people in the church. That's not the kind of man and apostle that Paul is going to be. So, um, we can apply this not just to the church, but I think there's an application here to men, to young men especially. Uh, there are a lot of young men today who are um, looking around at our culture, and we see a culture that's kind of effeminate. And there are young men who, who say, I want to be a real man. 
I want to be a manly, tough man. And they look around and they say, I, you know, I see these young men playing video games all day. That, that's not the man I want to be. I want to be a high-quality man. And then they go and they go on the internet and they see these well-known people making videos and, and having podcasts and websites to teach you how to be a high-quality man. There's one guy, he's, he's not a Christian, he says, I'm a champion to the sad, lonely, invisible men. That if they don't want to be invisible forever, the only way for them to win is to become men of importance. And young men hear that guy talk and they say, yes, I want to be a man of importance. I don't want to be sad and lonely and invisible. The problem is that these men who are famous, who are talking about manhood, they are doing what verse 20 says. They, they are saying, being a tough guy is cage fighting. Being a tough guy means you get women to do what you want. You make no excuses for any failures in your life. You just be tough. and Be a real man. Paul says, we're too weak for that, being sarcastic. This idea of manhood in our culture is toxic, it's selfish, and it's immoral. They use women instead of loving a woman. This is not what success is as a man, is to make slaves of people and devour people. Anybody who gets in your way, you just throw them under the bus. No. A real man is a man like Paul, who serves Christ, who endures in the face of difficulty and still is faithful to Christ. A man who has self-control is a strong man. A man who is strong is not necessarily a guy who fights in cages. It's a guy who leads family worship every day. It's a guy who wakes up at two in the morning to change a diaper. The world would say, what a weak man. And we say, yes, I'm too weak. I am too weak to be like that kind of guy you want me to be. So young men, follow Christ, serve Christ, whatever the opposition. That's what it means to be a tough guy. And another uh, application is uh, with the issue of pride, and that applies to anybody. The Corinthians were wise in their own eyes. They were wise in themselves. They were wise because they saw success. Success made them proud. And so we always need to beware pride that comes with success. See this in 2 Chronicles 26. Maybe you know the story of King Uzziah. Uzziah has all these great accomplishments in the first 15 verses. But then right in the middle of the chapter it says, But when Uzziah became strong, he grew proud to his own destruction. Destruction comes when pride comes. And pride often comes when there is what looks like being strong, being successful.
So the Corinthians were wise in their own eyes because of this success that they saw. And we always need to beware that pride. You, as a Christian, seek the low place. Don't seek the high place. Don't seek your own honor. Don't seek great things for yourself. But seek the low place and be faithful to God where he puts you. So the Corinthians are bearing with these fools. Well, now Paul is going to boast as a fool. Verses 21 to 33. uh, Second half of verse 21. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. There again is his sarcasm. He's speaking as a fool. What what am I doing? But he goes on. Verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. What he's boasting about first, he says, I boast that I'm equal to them. Whatever they can come up with, I'm equal. Spiritually, religiously, theologically, That's kind of covering the gamut of those three different terms that he's mentioning. I am equal to them. They've got nothing over me. But then in fact, he says in verse 23, I'm better than them. I'm better than them. Are they servants of Christ? You think they're servants of Christ? Well, look at me, he says. You think they're servants of Christ? I'm a better one. And then he interrupts himself again. Paul is saying he's better than other people. That's terrible. He says, I'm talking like a madman. I'm going crazy. I'm a lunatic. I must have hit my head on something because I'm I'm bragging about myself. I'm better? Oh, listen. Listen to how I'm better, Paul says. I'm better because I have far greater labors. Works a lot harder for me to do. Far more imprisonments, countless beatings, and often near death. How's that for a job interview there? Paul, what makes you more qualified than these other candidates to be pastor? Well, I've been in prison more times than they have. That's, that's what qualifies me. You see, you see the sarcasm of his boasting? Here's how I'm better than them. And then he gives us a bunch of bullet points, starting in verse 24. First bullet point, I've got five awards Here are my five awards. My awards were to get beaten with whips, to get lashed 39 times for each session, times five. That's 195, I think. This is how the Jews would punish people. They would punish Paul probably for riots or for blasphemy. They would tie a person to two pillars They would uh, take a whip that had three pieces of leather, and so one crack of the whip would count as three strikes because it would hit him three, three different places. So they would crack the whip as hard as they can, first on his chest 13 times, turn him over, whip him on the back as hard as they could 13 times, pause, Whip him on the back again 13 times. 39 wounds. 39 
scars, maybe. Maybe Paul could look at himself and count 195 scars from the whips of the Jews. Here's another prize he got in verse 25. Three times I was beaten with rods. This was the punishment of Rome. Rome would beat you with a rod. There was no limit. The, The Old Testament set a limit for how much you could whip somebody. There was no limit for Rome of how many times you could get beaten with a rod in one session. So it's possible that he was beaten over and over and over again just for that one session. And that happened three different times at this point in his life. He got rocks thrown at him so that he almost died. He was shipwrecked three times and he was lost at sea for a whole night and day. Then he goes on. I had frequent journeys, verse 26. Danger from rivers, danger from robbers, Danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil, hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Now you see this catalog. You see how he's giving this list. It's, it's almost poetry. Poetry, and it's a, it's a great speech. It's great boasting. Look at all this danger contrasts of danger from Gentiles and danger from false brothers and danger in the city and then out in the wilderness and at the sea. All kinds of different kinds of danger. And it's as if he's leading everything up to verse 28. And apart from other things. Or you could even think of it as and more than anything else. Above all other things, here's the high point. Here's what it's all building up to. There's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul loved the churches. He loved the people. And the reason he went through this catalog of suffering was because of his love for those people. And so it was a A burden, that's what he means, a pressure. It was a weight upon him to always be hearing about difficulties in the churches. He would be anxious when he hears that there's false teaching in Galatia. And when people are divided in Corinth. And when these two ladies in Philippi, Euodia and Syntyche, they can't agree. And when he hears this news, it creates a pressure on him. It creates a burden on him that is an anxiety that it seems is the worst thing that he experiences as an apostle. To hear how the churches are suffering or how they're not following Christ. Paul loved the churches and so should we. You wonder why we pray for all these churches? You wonder why on Wednesday nights we we hear about Cyprus and Auckland, New Zealand and Islamabad and something you might think, uh, do I really need to care about this? Do I really need to know about this? 
Christians care about other churches because it's the church of Christ. And we care about the gospel and the advance of the gospel. And so when there are difficulties in other churches and we hear about them, that should create a burden upon us. And so with that burden, we pray for these churches. So Paul feels this burden. And then he starts to land the plane as he's finished with his catalog. He says in verse 29, Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall and I'm not indignant? Who's got me beats? So verse 30, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And you can kind of imagine. Now this letter was read out loud. You, you can imagine the, the mouths closed in Corinth. This brilliant speech, this brilliant boast. He boasts about his weakness. Case closed. Who's the real apostle here? Who's the real man? Who's the tough guy? It's Paul. Paul is the true apostle. But then, we're not done yet, but then it's really interesting that he adds this one last story. Why does he add this story? In verses 31 to 33. I won't read those verses, but I'll tell you the story. It's from Acts chapter 9. And the background is that many of you know Paul, as Saul, was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians when he was not a believer. And on his way to Damascus, he sees Christ and he is converted instantly and he's blinded by the light. And so he goes and stays in a house and God sends a man named Ananias uh, to go and see Paul. God tells that man that he is going to show Paul how much Paul must suffer for the sake of God's name, for Christ's name. And so Ananias goes, he baptizes Paul, Paul gets his sight back. And then Paul goes in Damascus and he starts preaching. He preaches in the synagogues to the Jews. When he preaches to the synagogues in the, uh, of the Jews, they don't like it very much. And so they start a riot and they start persecuting him and they run him out of town. And Paul has to escape at night through a, bas through a window in the wall sitting in a basket. That basket was probably a fish basket. So can you picture the great Saul, persecutor of the church? He enters or is on his way to Damascus as the proud Pharisee who knows the truth and is going to arrest those Christians. And then everything changes. But he doesn't leave the proud, conquering Paul, who now really knows the truth of Jesus. Oh, he really knows the truth of Jesus now, but how does that turn out? 
turns out smelling like dead fish, sitting in a basket, hiding, covering himself, trying to run for his life. He enters Damascus in pride. He leaves in shame. In the Roman Empire, they would give awards to the military that would be similar to like what we call a purple heart uh, to show courage. And the award that they would give is to the man who was the first to scale the wall of the enemy. If they win that battle, that man gets the award, the award of great courage. This is the man who went up first on the wall. And they would write speeches and they would boast about this man's great courage. And it's as if Paul is using that kind of speech to say, here's my purple heart. I didn't scale the wall. I got let down through the wall in a fish basket, running for my life. You want to show the difference between a super apostle and a real apostle? That's the story. That's the story that is probably burned into Paul's memory. If you want to summarize Paul's ministry, here's how you summarize it. Lowered in a fish basket through a wall. Because that's what it costs him to follow Jesus. So, that's the application for us too. You want to follow Jesus? You follow the lamb. You follow the lamb who was slain. There is glory. There is a crown. There is victory. All of that is coming, but it's not coming to you yet. It's coming when you die or when Christ returns. For now, as we walk on this earth, if you want to follow Christ, you follow the slain lamb. You put yourself in the way of persecution. You take up your cross, you deny yourself, and you follow him. And if you can't take up your cross, Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple. And if you're here and you have yet to give your life to following Jesus, if you don't know the salvation of Christ, God calls you to join the ranks of the army of the Lamb. Find salvation in Christ. Because Christ has lived a life you could not live. He's died on the cross to pay the punishment for sinners. And he's risen from the dead. And he's your only hope. But as Jesus tells us, count the cost. Know what you're signing up for. You're signing up for a denial of yourself. And taking up your cross. And repenting of your sins. And giving your life to following him. And for those of us who are Christians, who are following Jesus, we still struggle with that. We get to the, the hard parts of 2 Corinthians now. The end of chapter 11, and, and then we're going to look at chapter 12. Who wants thorns in their flesh? Do you want a thorn in your flesh? Do, do you want weakness and suffering? Do you want to be like Paul is here at the end of chapter 11, mm, we don't really want that. 
Jesus, is there, a, is there a different way to follow you without taking up the cross? Jesus says, there isn't. I love the line in the hymn, Must I be carried to the cross on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? So Christian, you read these verses 21 to 33, the boast of Paul and how he sailed through bloody seas. Are you going to be carried to heaven on flowery beds of ease? Is that what you expect? Is that what you think is going to happen? No, it's not going to happen. And we hear and see these things that are happening in, in Asia with those people that we pray for. They are going through the bloody seas. They are fighting to win the prize. Do you think you will get to heaven on flowery beds of ease? Well, I wish we could. That, that would be nice. We would like to, but it's not going to work that way. And so we need to remember that this is our call to deny ourselves. And the only way that we can do this is to over and over again set our minds on Christ and his call to be his disciple. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of this world. Because if your mind is set on things of this world, you will want to hold on to the things of this world. You will want the flowery beds of ease. So how are we going to do this? How are we going to live in weakness and even boast of our weakness? It's only if we set our minds on Christ and decide that we are going to follow him. It is worth it. So may God give us that grace and help us to follow Christ. Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you for Jesus crucified in weakness. And we thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul. And we thank you for the power of the Spirit to do what in our flesh is impossible, to take up our crosses and follow Christ. We ask for your grace, grace to endure as we fight the battle through this life. We pray for your grace to continually sustain us and that through these weaknesses and hardships and difficulties that we face in our lives, that we would know that that hidden source of calm repose a peace that passes all understanding, the, the joy that comes from drawing from the waters of salvation that are in you. Bless us, we pray, in the name of Christ, amen.